Hey, everybody. Welcome into the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by the managing editor of Horns247, Taylor Estes. And Taylor, we are going to review the top five storylines from the first week of spring football for the Texas Longhorns. The Texas Longhorns, who are likely going to be picked by everybody to win the Big 12 uh, football championship in 2023. So we probably can't talk enough about the first week of spring football. We will also preview Texas basketball and their tricky first weekend, thanks to the NCAA tournament committee going out of their way to try and set up a possible Texas-Texas A&M matchup (laughs) in the second round. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But, uh, but Taylor, I thought coming out of the first week of spring football, um, there was a lot to be, a lot to feel good about. Let's put it that way, because Sark himself is, is telling us that he's feeling good about things like both lines of scrimmage. Yeah. And that that's huge. I mean, you know, with, um, with Texas returning pretty much the entire offensive line who contributed last season. And then even with the newcomer or, you know, losing two veteran players, Amora Ojimo and Keandre Coburn from the defensive line, but having so much young talent that's ready to go. I think that's one of the, the most positive signs of progression, I would say chip for this program, because I think the opposite has been said year in and year out prior to Steve Sarkeesian and his staff, coming to Texas. And this is just a very, um, this this is a sign of what, you know, they feel is going to be the type of roster that needs to be put together to compete in the SEC when Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC in 2024. And um, the fact that, you know, even losing two veteran guys, you know, uh, longtime starters, uh, leaders on the defensive line that Sark still thinks that it's one of the things he feels best about. That's huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, I mean, you could make an argument that the the strongest position on the team is the defensive line. And the defense played really well last year, obviously. Big turnaround. I thought it was the story of the year for the Longhorns. Um, And you're right. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian said as he excused his team for spring break, um, they will uh, return to football. you know, after about 10 days away from, from, you know, the complex, he said those exact words that even after losing, you know, two big time players from the defensive line, like Mora Ojimo, who was the highest rated uh, defensive player for Texas, according to pro football focus and Keandre Coburn, that they still feel like they're, they're loaded on the defensive line because of Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Vernon Broughton, Alfred Collins, and the younger players that they've added, like Sadir Mitchell. Um, and, you know, you've still got, um, you know, Zach Swanson, and Aaron Bryant, guys who are in the pipeline. In addition to all these edge defenders, you know, Baron Sorrell continues to be mentioned as a as an emerging leader and, you know, continues to build his body. And and we know he's got the length to be a, a solid pass rusher, led the team in sacks last year with five and a half, needs to take a big step up that. But then you go to the offensive line, you get all five starters back. And um, obviously you've got a couple of guys out recovering from surgery, Cole Hudson who started every game at right guard as a true freshman last year, which, you know, that's really kind of okay. You know, Cole Hudson's a tough guy who picked up everything quickly or he wouldn't have started every game. This now allows DJ Campbell, the top interior lineman recruit in in the nation in 2022 to get his confidence level up and get all these important reps so that there's depth and, and that's, you know, that's essential. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a downer that Connor Robertson, um, 
you know, had the wrist surgery. He's, he's the backup to, to Jake majors at center, but he's not going to be out for long. And, and the point is the depth and the talent on both lines, Taylor, it's, I mean, even the 2009 team that went to the national championship didn't have any all conference players on the offensive line. In fact, I would say Colt McCoy and, and Jordan Shipley deserved a medal for that season for, for the success that they had uh, behind that line. It just wasn't a great line. It didn't send anyone to the NFL. Now Texas has got all kinds of talent in the, in the, you know, on the roster uh, fighting it out in the two deep. And we know there are going to be guys going to the NFL. Yeah, no doubt about it, Chip. And yeah, I, I totally agree. I think Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley really hid the deficiencies that Texas did have on the offensive line. And those were, you know, glaring in 2010 um, following that national championship run season in 2009. So yeah, I mean, this is huge. And remember, this is an offensive line chip that there weren't even enough bodies last year at this time to have a regular spring game because they didn't have too deep of a line of, or of offensive line to go against each other in the spring game. And so for it to, to turn so quickly, we obviously knew that the offensive line signing class from 2022 was special and elite and probably one of the better offensive line classes in college football in recent years um, coming out of the high school ranks, but you didn't, I don't think you really expected it to translate so quickly. And, you know, guys like Calvin Banks, guys like, you know, as you said, Cole Hudson um, being starters is something unique and, you know, Texas is fortunate to have had them. Um, But then you have other guys, you know, Cam Williams was a guy that Kyle Flood talked a lot about at the Alamo bowl as somebody who's progressed a ton that, the public doesn't see because, you know, it's in practice that he's getting this and, and DJ Campbell being another one too. I mean, this is, it's night and day different, right? I mean, like even under Tom Herman, the guys that they did sign never seemed to pan out or they didn't stay on the roster, honestly. And so, and they missed out on a ton of talent too. So this is, it's, it's kind of incredible, honestly. And it's a huge testament of, of what Steve Sarkeesian and his staff is selling. It's a huge testament of, of what these, players and recruits think of Kyle Flood as a developer of offensive line talent. Um, and, you know, they're, whatever they're selling to them, it's working for sure. And the fact that it's working so well on both lines of scrimmage is, is a, you know, probably one of the biggest storylines of spring football as a positive for Texas. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into our second um, top storyline coming out of the first week of spring football. And that is that Steve Sarkeesian volunteered that we are a deep team and that, you know, when you start talking about being a deep team and having both lines of scrimmage be a strength, that's when you're talking about a team that should be contending for a a conference championship and maybe for Texas's first ever birth in the college football playoff. Um, And you just hit on the position that probably has grown the most offensive line. Last spring, they didn't have 10 scholarship offensive linemen to go through the spring. You had a bunch of walk-ons. They didn't have a spring game, a, a normal, typical spring game because of that, that lack of offensive linemen. Now you've, you, you're, you're stacked. Um, and, and receiver was a question mark going into last year uh, because you had – you know, Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington and not really, you know, you had the hope and promise of Isaiah Nair, but then he suffers an ACL tear in fall camp and immediately uh, it was a huge concern and it proved to be a concern throughout the season. Although Casey Kane showed flashes and, um, you know, you saw little glimpses here and there of, of Savion Red and, and Brennan Thompson, it wasn't what Steve Sarkeesian says he has now at the receiver position with the additions of early enrollee freshman, John Tate cook, Deandre Moore, uh, the portal edition of, of AD Mitchell from Georgia. Um, and then, you know, at, at tight end, you've got Jatavian Sanders and Gunnar Helm, you know, Juan Davis is in his, uh, 
you know, coming into his third year of, of college football year, you know, you've got depth at critical positions um, and on defense, the depth is still emerging. Uh, but for Steve Sarkeesian to say, we're a deep team. And that was, again, that wasn't a question. Are you a deep team? That was him saying in the course of an answer, we are a deep team. And so I think that's uh, that's a big positive. It is. Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, obviously every coach does give coach speak answers a lot, but Steve Sarkeesian is not the type that's going to willingly say something like that if he didn't truly believe it. Um, at least I, we haven't seen him say something that was totally BS, really, honestly, um, in talking to us when he offers up the information, not, you know, asked about it and just responding to a question about it. So I, I, I fully believe when he says we're a deep team, I fully believe that he not only feels it, but they see it. And they see it, you know, across the board. The wide receiver position, Chip, is a good uh, example of the how de- deep they are with Savion Red moving out of the position. I mean, if, if they were concerned about the depth at wide receiver, they wouldn't be moving a guy who did contribute um, at that position last season to a new position. And so I think that in itself shows is a really good example. And it shows that the staff, you know, I know that Chris Jackson's a new addition. Um, you know, he was obviously hired on after Texas had signed these, this class, but still, I mean, it just goes to show that the, you know, the recruiting on offense and at wide receiver is still going even after the kind of drop-off season that the receivers had last year, which also was part of the, you know, the passing game too, definitely played into it. And then with Steve Sarkeesian telling us now that Xavier Worthy had a, a bone that was broken in his hand and that limited him. I mean, a lot of it makes sense now, but um, I mean, this is just, it's hard to really knock much of what Steve Sarkeesian and the staff are doing from a um, recruiting standpoint and then a development standpoint too, um, when, you know, they, they can turn a position around in less than 12 months, like they did for both wide receiver and offensive line. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, that offensive line um, recruiting hall, the development, as you said, uh, was huge and it will continue to be huge. We saw, you know, Jaden Chapman, the early enrollee freshman, getting some second team reps at left tackle. Um, they feel good about, you know, his growth and um, and what they've seen from him so far. And that's that's probably the other thing about the depth is, you know, I wrote about it in the morning brew on Tuesday morning about Leonga LaFau and and Anthony Hill. And both of these guys are seen as, as, as guys who are going to be impact players, how quickly up to them and how they continue to grow through the spring, summer, and into fall camp. But these coaches can already tell from their work ethic, their hunger, their, how, the way they're picking things up, that if they're not let's say they're not starters in 2023, they're going to be starters probably in 2024 and have a big impact. So even guys, you're not, you know, likely to see in the starting lineup. Jalen Ford is your middle linebacker. Leonga LaFau is, is fighting hard to be his backup, but they really like Leonga LaFau and feel like, you know, that's a, that's a guy who, who can be an impact player. And, you know, I don't think Steve Sarkeesian says we're a deep team unless he feels like they do have depth at linebacker after losing DeMarvian Overshone and, um, you know, a guy who's so versatile, like, like Overshone losing Ovia Gofu, who, you know, played that kind of strong side linebacker, um, you know, Jack end position uh, you lost, you know, Deshaun Jameson, you lost Anthony Cook, but you brought in Jalen Catalan at safety and you brought in Gavin Holmes from Wake Forest, who's looked great at corner. And I just, I think Steve Sarkeesian, I've said it, has done a great job in the portal. I mean, he's done an incredible job recruiting high school kids with obviously all the players we just talked about, but he's also done a nice job in the portal 
Ryan Watts was a huge contributor last year. We all think Isaiah Nair is going to be a big contributor. A.D. Mitchell, now Gavin Holmes, uh, Jalen Catalan. Quinn Ewers. Um, <laughs> Quinn Ewers. I mean, we'll, we'll get to Quinn Ewers here in our next uh, storyline. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, you're right. He's not a, a guy who's going to, you know, try and, you know, uh, build up something that's not there. He's going to, he's going to tell you like it is. I mean, going into last season, he said his biggest concerns were um, on the offensive line, the secondary and special teams and offensive line got it going. The secondary had, had some struggles with communication, but um, we'll see if they can get that tied up for the most part. The defense was, was solid. Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian, you can tell when, um, I think it was the early signing period press conference that he had when he talked and was asked about Leonga LaFowle. I mean, he could not speak higher of this kid. And, you know, Anthony Hill, obviously people expect him, I think, to be a guy that could make an early impact because he was, you know, one of the number one linebacker, I believe, um, in the country, five-star player coming in, looks the part, has the tools, you know, a really high ceiling type of player. But Leonga LaFowle was not, the number two run linebacker in the country or anything like that. But Steve Sarkeesian, when he talked about him um, and the impact he's made in his community, he does a football camp every year and he wants to continue to do that in Hawaii year in and year out. And then also him being so dedicated to wanting to play football at Texas to go from Hawaii to Austin, Texas. I mean, if anybody has made that trip, I went to Hawaii a couple of years ago. It is not easy. That is an eight hour trip. If you're fortunate, (laughs) it's like going to Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a lengthy journey. And the fact that Leonga LaFowle so badly wanted to be at Texas and his parents were so on board for him to be there is something really special and really important. And, you know, I think um, there's a lot of people who are credit to that. Jeff Choate did a really good job in recruiting him too. Um, he's probably one of the unsung heroes, I would say, of the 2023 signing class. Jeff Banks, obviously, is really good, too. But Jeff Choate did a solid job. I mean, you know, the fact that Texas is losing a guy like DeMarvian Overshone and you haven't heard Steve Sarkeesian talk yet about linebacker being a concern should speak volumes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, David Benda and, and, you know, Maurice Blackwell, Mo Blackwell, are the guys who are trying to fend off these young guys and, and get into that starting lineup uh, in replacing Overshone. And I'm here and it's a battle. So mm-hmm. this is going to be fun to watch. And Taylor, as we move into the, you know, you mentioned Quinn Ewers um, leadership, you know, Steve Sarkeesian also brought that up as a, as a strength un unprovoked said the leadership uh, he said he's really pleased with the depth of leadership and Quinn Ewers is is a guy he identified as um, someone who's stepping up as a leader and not just because of the haircut but (laughs) you know he's he gets it and I I think the accountability he took um, at at the Alamo bowl after struggling in the Oklahoma state game, after struggling in, in some games down the stretch and Texas really needing to rely on the run uh, to finish off games against Baylor, Kansas state, um, you know, Kansas, but uh, you know, Quinn Ewers is really stepping it up and that we heard that in winter conditioning. We also heard it uh, from Steve Sarkeesian when spring football started and you know, Quinn Ewers being identified as a leader uh, on offense, Jake Majors, um, Christian Jones, Jordan Whittington, and um, Steve Sarkeesian continues to bring up Xavier Worthy as a leader, um, most recently saying that he, you know, was trying to show Jonte Cook how you have to block a safety on a play, and that's not always been Xavier Worthy's strength. He's kind of a wispy guy, but, but he'll, you know, stick his nose in there. And Steve Sarkeesian said they had that same play come up uh, a little, you know, a little bit later in that practice. And there was Xavier Worthy sticking his face in there, trying to, to block Jaron Thompson coming downhill. So, um, you know, that that's all positive because, 
you know, Xavier Worthy's been a bit of an enigma. A guy, people are like, is he even going to be here? And everything we've heard is that he's all in. He's treating this like a contract year. He will be draft eligible after this season. um, And that he's growing up. And so that's big. Yeah, it is. I mean, he, you know, I think he was so impactful as a true freshman that I feel like maybe um, people may forget that he was only a true sophomore last year. And, you know, now knowing that he dealt with an injury for half of the season makes a lot of sense, you know? Um, But I think, you know, I I imagine that he's looking at Chris Jackson, the addition of um, him, you know, being a NFL coach only, he's never really coached at the college level. He's always been in the pros. Xavier Worthy, the fact that his focus seems really on point and Steve Sarkeesian brings him up as a guy that's a leader, both, you know, with his actions on the field and also with his like willingness to make changes, you know, in his game. And when he is in practice, like Steve Sarkeesian mentioned that it's hard not to wonder if that is a, um, a product of adding Chris Jackson into the mix with him, just having such an experience, a lengthy experience of being a pro football coach, because that's obviously Xavier Worthy's goal is to play in the NFL. You know, he, he wants to be an NFL football player. He wants to be elite. Um, and Steve Sarkeesian's talked a lot about he's a guy that's, you know, first one at practice, last one to leave, really puts in a lot of work that I don't think a lot of people do see. Um, and I, I wonder if it's kind of a challenge that Chris Jackson has kind of brought to the table for him, knowing what type of talent he could be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you talk about that leadership and then you flip over to the defensive side of the ball and Jalen Ford, who probably should have been the you know, the big 12 defensive player of the year is a guy. He should have been. He should have been. Should have been. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's always the first name that Steve Sarkeesian mentions when he's talking about the leadership on the defensive side, Jaron Thompson, um, Tavondre Sweat, uh, Byron Murphy, and, um, you know, Jalen Catalan even. And so uh, even though Catalan, like we said, he's, you know, they're managing his contact and, they don't want to, you know, do something stupid and, and aggravate the shoulder injury. They'll, they'll get into the contact when they need to, or when they feel like he's maybe stronger after summer. Um, But they already have identified him as a leader for, for the young safeties at that position, like BJ Allen and Larry Turner Gooden. So, um, you know, anytime your leadership is, is one of the things that is being talked about as a strength. Again, um, that's, that's, uh, that's a sign. And we've talked about Steve Sarkeesian's culture that he, he hasn't lost players that he wanted to keep uh, with the exception of Hudson card. And, and so, you know, the culture appears to be strong and, and that's, that's a positive. And then you, you know, when you have your, you know, your best players who are stepping up and, and holding each other accountable. That's when the magic happens. Yeah. And just think about the 180 that has happened since Steve Sarkeesian's first year, when it comes to the culture and the leadership, not having the player leadership, you know, Roshan Johnson kind of took it upon himself asking Sark if he could kind of fill that role because he felt that, you know, they can hear it from the coaches all they want, but it's got to come from the players and your teammates and holding one another accountable. I mean, that was less than two years ago. Remember? I mean, that was, that was midway through, I think his first football season that that conversation was had. And so, uh, excuse me, Sark's first year at Texas when Roshan Johnson did that. I mean, that's, that is, I think, um, you know, the first year, obviously it's hard to excuse five and seven. There were, clearly issues from a player perspective in the locker room, the bad apples, it appears have been removed from the equation. As you said, you know, aside from Hudson card, they've really been able to hold on to the guys that they want to hold on to the guys they lost the portal have not necessarily been ones that they were surprised or trying to hold on to, to keep on the roster. So that in itself is huge. Um, And that's where I feel like, you know, Tori Becton and his staff deserve a ton of credit too, because, they're the culture coaches, you know, the strength and conditioning coach, the strength and conditioning program is sets the tone of the culture and players are clearly bought in enough to him and the 
what they're selling that they're now taking and running with it themselves and seeing hearing guys like Quinn Ewers become you know more of a leader um you want that you want your quarterback to be able to get into guys faces if he needs to and you know Vince Young was a, I mean amazing leader Colt McCoy amazing leader Sam Ellinger even say what you will about Sam Ellinger his leadership was on po- or on point you know day in and day out his work ethic was like it set an example to Casey Thompson of how to prepare as a starting quarterback. And Casey Thompson, before he transferred to Nebraska, credited Sam Ellinger for that. And you need a quarterback that's going to set the example, set the tone, and also you know keep guys accountable. And the quicker that Quinn Ewers can embrace that and really um, you know take it on, the better it is for the entire locker room, and the better it is especially for the offense. Yeah, no doubt. And that leads us to our fourth. Uh, top storyline from the first week of spring football. And that is that uh, speaking of quarterbacks, Malik Murphy, the sophomore quarterback or redshirt freshman, I should say, um, who, you know, was healthy through winter conditioning and then suffered a, a foot injury. Um, it's, it's kind of a, well, re-aggravation is what I was told. Um of a previous injury and it's kept him, it kept him out of the first week of spring football. But um, I've, you know, talked to uh, people and Steve Sarkeesian says that Malik Murphy should be okay uh, when spring football resumes and, and that will get him back on the field and back to competing. And, and that's an important position as we've talked about um, not only, you know, quarterback on a football team, but for Malik Murphy, who's had some, you know, it's been a little bit of a rough road for him getting started, coming off the broken ankle in the state championship game. Then the scooter uh, accident last year, he just hasn't been healthy for an extended period of time. And we know he's a big, strong guy with a great personality. We want to see him get on the field and compete. And, and, and it looks like we're going to get to see that here over the, the second half of spring football. Yeah. I mean, this is the, probably one of the biggest, I don't want to say necessarily question marks, but maybe it is a little bit is who the backup. If, is there a capable backup quarterback to Quinn Ewers? Um, Obviously there's a high ceiling for both Malik Murphy and for Arch Manning, but you know, they're young. Both of them are really young. You know, Malik Murphy didn't play any games. He at least has a year in the playbook in the offense. Um, being at Texas as an early enrollee, but still there's difference between, you know, reading about what you need to do and studying what you need to do than actually doing it on the field. And so the quicker that Malik Murphy, I think, can come back into the mix, the better. And that's not me like overlooking Arch Manning or anything like that. I think, you know, the the headlines with, especially with his last name being Manning, of course, has led, you know, the quarterback battle talk in Austin. I don't think that's really the case. I think it's more if Malik Murphy can compete with Arch Manning for the backup position behind Quinn Ewers and whoever is the guy that, um, you know, fills that role, they've got to be ready at, at any given notice. I mean, that Texas fans saw it last year. Quinn Ewers went through it. Um, You know, Hudson card was ready to go and he played through injury and he did extremely well, but Texas doesn't have a guy that has any experience at the college level taking snaps to back up Quinn Ewers. So I feel, I feel like the sooner that Malik Murphy can get back into practice, get the reps, kind of show what he can do, the better it is as a whole. Because I think it's fair to say you need you you for sure need two capable quarterbacks in college football. You never know when one's going to go down. I mean, look at what the 09 national championship game against Alabama. What went happened? Colt McCoy went down in that game, you know, and uh, there's just a and then Alabama again, Quinn Ewers goes down. So you, you've got to have a capable guy ready. I want to see if Malik Murphy can be that guy. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think. Uh, the backup quarterback is uh, maybe the biggest question mark on this football team right now. So uh, that's uh, that is a significant storyline coming off the first week of spring and our final uh, storyline that we'll talk about coming off the first week of spring is uh, will Texas have a featured running back or will it be by committee? Now this is early, obviously, uh, Jonathan Brooks is not even uh, participating in spring football, uh, and he would be considered 
the leader uh, of this group. But, um, you know, I think you look at uh, the fact that Jaden Blue is getting a lot of reps right now. You, you've got Keelan Robinson, who's coming off of a muscle uh, strain, and they've been careful with. But C.J. Baxter, the freshman, has been getting a, a ton of run. Uh, and as we mentioned, uh, Savion Red making the move from receiver to running back has looked really good uh, catching the football and and just taking to the position quickly. And Steve Sarkeesian brought it up again, Taylor, uh, as they were exiting for spring break about how he's always had a thousand yard rusher as a, a play caller as a in his you know eight full years as a head coach. And he's, you know, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have one. Um, we may, we may be by committee, but the bottom line is there we're now going to, as we get into the more padded practices, the contact, the more scrimmage situations uh, over the second half of spring, the coaches are going to have a, a better idea if they've got a guy who they think can, can carry it 20 times and, and hold up and, and catch the football and do all the things that they need the running back to do in this offense. Yeah. And that's, you know, definitely one of the biggest questions and storylines too. Um, I think Texas has a, a ton of talent in the running back room, but it, as you said, it may be by committee, you know, we just, we just don't know that yet. It's going to be really hard to replace the production, obviously of Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Those are, in my opinion, the two, um, you know, dual, running backs in college football last year, the two-headed monster, I would say that they were, um, they were just, those are special guys. It's going to be really difficult to immediately fill those shoes, but I don't know if necessarily Texas needs to do that. You know what I mean? Like they were relied upon to carry the offense, um, carry the load on the offense too in 2022 because they had a young offensive line. They had a young first time starting quarterback. They had some questions at receiver, so they were called upon to do that, and they obviously answered the call. I just don't think the running game is going to be needed as crucially as it was last season because I do think with the offensive line being one year older, Quinn Ewers being having a season of starting experience, um, you know, in the playbook, understanding the expectations, understanding what he what he needs to do, understanding what he needs to work on, um, and being open and talking to us about that. I, I think, and then you know, add to the mix the talent at receiver. That's you know, they feel good enough about the depth to let a receiver move to running back to try to fill some of the void left that Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson um, had. So I think, I mean, maybe Sark will want to keep that uh, thousand yard rusher, um, you know, trend going for him. But at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think it means that the offense is going to be bad if Texas doesn't have a thousand yard rusher, a single one in uh, 2023. I think it's just going to be a sign that the rest of the offense progressed and that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah I mean I think as long as they are able to run it when they need to run it if, mm -hmm. if they need to be able to make yards on third and short they need to be able to run out the fourth quarter like we saw them do against Baylor and against Kansas State um, they they're gonna need to run it when they really have to and right you look at I keep going back to Quinshawn Judkins at Ole Miss last year as a true freshman. Remember Zach Evans transferred to Ole Miss and he couldn't beat out Quinshawn Judkins, the true freshman who ended up rushing for 1500 uh, yards. And, you know, CJ Baxter is, is a, is a special talent. We'll see. I think Jonathan Brooks is a special talent and we'll see how these coaches, how to shard choice, and Steve Sarkeesian want to bring these guys along. We saw Tom Herman be, you know, gradual with Bijan Robinson. And I joke all the time if if Tom Herman would have given uh, you know, Bijan Robinson, you know, 15 carries a game his freshman year, Herman might still have a, a job at Texas um, because he probably would have won the Big 12 title in 2020. But um it's it's going to be fun to watch this competition unfold and it probably won't get into the, you know, the nitty gritty until fall camp, but we're getting early glimpses of what a guy like CJ Baxter, what Jaden blue, who hasn't played football 
in a minute. He's kind of the the Quinn Ewers of running backs. He, right. you know, he didn't play his senior year of high school, um, and then he redshirted last year. So he's been, you know, it's it's been a couple of years since he's been in the in the thick of it. Yeah, and and maybe you know Jonathan Brooks' timing of his injury came at an ideal timing for the overall running back room. You know, with Jaden Blue being able to get the first team reps. And to start spring ball, you know, we haven't been told if Jonathan Brooks is going to be, you know, put back into the mix yet. He had that, that sur- the hernia surgery after the Alamo Bowl. Um, so I don't think that there's really a hustle to get him in the mix, but we haven't been told any type of time frame for return. But, you know, maybe this is a good thing for the, the future of the room with Jaden Blue getting more reps in practice. I mean, he didn't get any. You have to think of what the running back depth was last year. It was Bijan, Roshan. Keelan Robinson slash Jonathan Brooks and then Jaden Blue. I mean, I'm sorry, but the the fifth team running back is not getting quality reps in practice. It's just it's not happening. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And so he now has the opportunity to do that. Uh, CJ Baxter also, you know, getting the second team reps in practice at running back. I think that's good. It, even if it doesn't mean that he's going to be the second team running back when the season starts, it doesn't hurt him at all for being an early enrollee and starting to kind of learn what he needs to learn at the college level, being such an elite player, you know, he's definitely someone to watch, I think, Chip. And I think Anthony Hill and CJ Baxter are Chip's man crushes for sure. One offense, one defense from the 2023 class. But I think it they're legit, though. I think that those guys really are special. And CJ Baxter, um, you know, we had his high school coach on here, hearing him talk about him as a leader, everything. He's what you want in a five-star running back. And so the future looks bright there. Um, you know, if he can push Jonathan Brooks, Jaden Blue will be interesting to see. Yeah, and this is a super critical spring for Jaden Blue for all the reasons we just mentioned. But he can't really get in the portal and go anywhere until he shows what he can do. Right. Because, you know, he didn't play his senior year of high school. And, you know, that's a depends on who you talk to situation about, you know, whether he, you know, had a positive high school experience or not. And, and now he's got to prove to himself. He's got to prove to himself that he's still the guy. And, and then he's got to prove it to the coaches and, uh, and he's, he's in, he's in a battle right now. And so Steve Sarkeesian talked about the maturity that he has been able to block out the noise and, you know, when he brought up Jatavian Sanders as an example, well, what's going on with Jatavian? Why isn't he playing as a true freshman? Well, he needed to learn. He needed to grow. He needed to develop all the little parts of his game that you have to be competent in to earn the trust of the coaches. And it, from what Steve Sarkeesian is saying, Jaden Blue is is picking up on those things and he's he's putting in the kind of work he needs to to put in. And he's going to get tested because uh, CJ Baxter is a, a special talent and um, that should just breed great competition, iron sharpening iron. And, and, and maybe that's why we're not hearing the, you know, any alarms at this point from the coaching staff about uh, we don't have an answer for replacing Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Cause it sounds like they feel like with, the development that will occur this spring, summer, and into fall camp, they'll be okay. Yeah, for sure. And Jaden Blue deciding to sit out his senior year, that could also rub other coaches the wrong way too. If he did, if he was a guy that thought he needed to go to the transfer portal or something like that. I mean, even his recruiting ranking, um, you know, he was either a five-star or on the verge of being a five-star prospect. Then that happened and it, his, his rating dropped substantially. And a lot of people thought it wasn't fair but it's kind of like well where where's this guy's head you can't really call him a five-star if he is willing to sit out as you know as as a senior of high school just for anything other I mean Quinn Ewers obviously did the same thing it was a little bit different though like his was to make a million dollars as an NIL deal at Ohio State to reclassify Jaden Blues was from what I mean you hear different things but I think publicly was to protect himself with like reps or something like that from a health standpoint that rubbed even, you know, people that, that rate these rec- the recruits and the prospects um, a negative way. Cause he fell to being a, like a mid four star type of player. And 
So he's got to, I think you brought up a good point. He's got to prove it to himself first, but he's got a lot to prove too, just of where he is mentally and how bought in he really is. And, you know, from, I feel like he wouldn't be a guy that Steve Sarkeesian is talking about too much if, if there was concern that he may not be bought in at this point. Yeah. All right. Before we get to love it or leave it, let's uh, talk a little Texas basketball heading into March Madness. And everybody's filling out their brackets. And uh, Taylor, I got to say, I was a little surprised by all the experts who were picking Texas to get to the final four. Dick Vitale, Jay Billis, um, Seth Greenberg. It, it seemed like everywhere I was turning, um, Texas was speeded into the final four. And, and I think the Midwest region where they are is rough. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned it, even Colgate, a team that will spread you out and shoot threes if they get hot is going to be a tough out. Now, Texas plays good defense. They pressure the ball. They force turnovers. I think they'll they'll get by Colgate. But then you've got Texas A&M playing Penn State in, in my mind, easily uh, the best first round matchup of the tournament because both of these teams, first of all, Texas A&M was the second place regular season finisher in the SEC, you know, a league with Tennessee and Alabama and Kentucky and Arkansas. And, and then they're going up against Penn state, which just got to the finals of the big 10 tournament and pushed Purdue to the brink and has, you know, one of the toughest uh, matchups in the in the tournament when you're you're talking about um, Jalen Pickett, a guy who you know averages 18 points, 7.3 rebounds, and 6.7 assists per game. I mean, he's he's everywhere, and you know whoever comes out of that game, A and M or Penn State, is going to be a tough matchup for Texas, especially on a turn you know a turnaround. And I've I've compared. A&M to TCU uh, in the Big 12 and Penn State to Baylor because they're going to they're going to spread you out. But Penn State has probably a little bit more of a an edge to him because of Jalen Pickett, who can get to the rim. He he rebounds. He, he creates for his teammates. I mean, I'm picking Texas to get to the Sweet 16, but man, they're going to, they're going to have to earn it. Yeah. It's interesting that there's so many people that look at them as a final four team when they're in the same, uh, you know, uh, the Midwest region with Houston, who has been so elite. I mean, the big 12 basketball conference next year is going to be really good. I think with the additions of Houston and that, but like, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm with you. I feel like maybe we're a little bit like, gun shy a little when it comes to picking Texas to go far in the NCAA tournament because they've only had what one win since 2011 yeah (laughs) so and it happened last year um yeah I mean it it, I feel like it's kind of one of those like I've got to see it first I'd be happy to be proven wrong but it's gonna be hard for me to pick them to follow what the experts are saying right now just because you just never you never know when March happens and Texas is in the NCAA tournament who knows they could lose by a buzzer beater halftime shot you never know <laughs> what happened a few years ago you know so this is a I mean they definitely did not win any or get any favors I would say from the committee who puts together the the NCAA tournament bracket and um I, I pardon me Chip I wonder if they intentionally put A&M in Texas to be a team that would play potentially around two I feel like everyone's going to tune in, right? (laughs) Oh, I mean, you've got, uh, there's no doubt because both A&M and Penn State could have been seated a line higher. Um, A&M, again, second place in the regular season uh, in the SEC and reached the tournament final as a seven seed. Yeah. I mean, you could have put them on a five line and, and some people feel like it's because Buzz Williams and AM complained so loudly about not getting in last year that they wanted to make sure that they had a nice, uh, tough test uh, <laughs> here this year. But I look over it like the East region where 
Purdue is the number one seed and that that's well-deserved, but you know, you've got Tennessee whose point guard is now hurt and they're a four seed and they look, you know, like they could be uh, ripe for an upset and, and Houston, Houston, the reason, um, you know, I think people are shy about picking Houston all the way to the final four is because of the groin injury to Marcus Sasser, their, their best player. And can he hold up uh, with that injury? And they've got a really tough, you know, possible second round matchup with, in my opinion, I think Iowa beats Auburn. Iowa is, you know, this balanced team that defends They're long. Um, I, I just think this is going to be a lot of fun and it, and it, it is exciting for Texas fans because coming off that, Big 12 tournament, every player for the Longhorns was playing well. Every player who got on the court was making a difference. I mean, you know, you had big time uh, effort and performance, even from guys like Arterio Morris, uh, the emergence of Dylan DeZue at the center position, averaging 18 points over those three games, dominating against Kansas. Uh, that, you know, that's why people feel so good about Texas. If they can maintain that level, then they are a threat to go to the final four. We're just talking about the first weekend. <laughs> uh, we'll come back next week, hopefully, and talk about what uh, is facing the Longhorns possibly in a sweet 16 matchup. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to know what, how far does Rodney Terry need to get with this team to secure the job. And I've said it, he needs to go as, as far as he can. I mean, he, because there may be other candidates that Texas is looking at who are also in the tournament. And let's be honest, Shaka smart is got a great team at Marquette. People are picking Marquette to go to the final four. He didn't win an NCAA tournament game at Texas. This is not an easy place to coach. You have to know exactly who you are. Um, Typically they hire coaches who've already done it because th those coaches have a method and a system and have shown they can recruit and get to the promised land. So um, this tournament has a lot riding on it, not just how far Texas can go and grab some more director's cup points, but the fate of, of Rodney Terry could be riding, um, you know, on these first couple of games in, in Des Moines starting what Thursday night at, uh, about 6 30. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch for sure. And um, there's no shortage of news uh, surrounding Texas athletics. I feel like all the time, but Texas basketball at this time of year with, you know, who's going to take over and if they're going to, you know, leave Rodney Terry to remove the interim tag and make him the head coach. I mean, there's, he's going to be a head coach. We, we said this Monday chip, he's going to be a head coach somewhere in college basketball next year, whether it's at Texas or elsewhere. So um you know, but yeah, he has a chance to prove it. And I feel like how far it's like, he's got to at least the sweet 16, if not to the elite eight, I would say to make it to where it's like, how can you not keep him? Right. Right. I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, according to the seating, Texas should reach the elite eight, but we know that that's easier said than done. And, um, but I, I do think get out of the first weekend uh, you really start to make it a, a difficult decision. You get to the Elite Eight, and and now you're playing possibly Houston, the number one seed. Um, man, it, it, it'd be really hard not to give Rodney Terry the job if Texas makes it to the Elite Eight, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. All right, Taylor, you ready for some Love It or Leave It? I am. Before we get to Love It or Leave It, we're going to take a really quick break, but stay tuned. We have more football and basketball talk coming up. We'll be right back. All right, Chip, my first love it or leave it for you is love it or leave it. The best news coming out of the first week of spring football is Steve Sarkeesian saying he feels both lines of scrimmage will be a strength. You know, I'm going to love this because it, we haven't heard this in 15 years. I mean, I, I, probably since the 05, maybe 08. No, no, I don't think we heard it in 08. 07 was kind of a mess on the offensive line. So it was 08. Remember Colt McCoy led the team in rushing in 08. They still should have played for a national championship that year, but 
we just haven't heard this. We haven't heard this in 15 years. And, and, and it's believable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's credible what, what Steve Sarkeesian is saying. Um, and I think the fact that um, the defensive line took a big step last year, the offensive line obviously took a big step. Um, you win in the trenches, you win in the SEC in the trenches. Texas needs to win in the Big 12 in 2023. Uh, in the trenches, especially with a young, uh, inexperienced, I should say, running back, whoever he is or whoever they are. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, your pressure up front on defense just makes life so much better for every everyone behind them uh, on defense. So I'm going to love this, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to love it. And for honestly, the exact same reasons I don't need to repeat everything you just said but like this is this is not something that is commonly said um about Texas football at least in my career covering Texas in as Chip mentioned going back to probably when I was still in college honestly or high school (laughs) you know and so yeah I mean this is this is new and it's legitimate it's not it doesn't come off to me as coach speak I would be surprised if either one of these positions was a liability for Texas this next season, barring any type of like substantial injuries to key starters or anything like that. But still, no, I think that the fact that that Steve Sarkeesian feels good enough to say it and that we're sitting here believing it and not, you know, picking nitpicking his words and saying, well, they do have this, you know, liability or something like that. That's not the case. I mean, so yeah, this is huge. You have to win up front in order to be an elite team. You have to consistently do that too in order to you know bring texas football back to the glory days and glory years of of college football supremacy and um this has been a you know both lines of scrimmage haven't been the best in recent years there have been some years there's been some players that are good but overall they haven't been the strengths of the team and so the fact that it is this year and we believe that steve what steve sarkeesian is saying and we've seen the development from the coaching staff like Kyle Flood and Bo Davis and what they've been able to do at their positions, there's no reason to question it right now. So, and that's really a huge positive. So I'm definitely going to love this one too. Yeah. I mean, typically when you're looking at how you're going to project a team, you look at both lines of scrimmage and the quarterback. Yeah. And if, if you're loaded or got a bunch of starters returning on both lines of scrimmage and you have a quarterback um, who's, you know, shown the potential to be a, a championship type quarterback. That's, that's how you get picked to win uh, the conference. All right. Yeah. Uh, love it or leave it. Number two. Second one, love it or leave it. The top concern coming out of the first week of spring football is whether Texas will have a featured running back or not. Uh, I'm going to leave this because there's plenty of time to worry about this later. Um, I would say the the top concern uh, is is Malik Murphy and and getting him back on the field and getting him competing to be the backup quarterback for Quinn Ewers this year. Uh, so that I think the plan the plan was for Quinn Ewers to tear it up at quarterback in 2023, maybe go on to the NFL and you know, for Malik Murphy and Arch Manning to, to battle it out in 2024 with the, you know, loser of that competition being the backup quarterback. So uh, for all that to play out, Malik Murphy needs to get going. He needs reps. He needs to build that confidence and, and build confidence um, and trust from his teammates that he's able to stay on the field. I mean, yeah. that's kind of a crazy thing to say about a guy who's 6'6", uh, 245 and looks like he, you know, looks like he's made of of steel and and yet, you know, he hasn't been on the field much. How about you, Taylor? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to leave it to I think it's too early to say that a top concern is anything about running back, um, especially with Jonathan Brooks um, being out right now. You know, I mean, he's he's going to be the the first team more than likely going to be the first team guy when he does return to the mix. And, um, you know, I think that he's fully capable of being the guy, but I also think that the room's talented enough to where it's not going to be 
a huge impact if there isn't one featured running back. So, um, and I agree, I think Malik Murphy getting back in the mix, getting healthy is probably the the biggest concern after the first week. Hopefully, you know, he, the Sarkeesian said he was going to stay, spend his spring break in Austin to have another full week of rehabbing to get back into the mix. Hopefully that goes well. Hopefully there's no more setbacks and that he's ready to go because that that's a crucial, crucial aspect to the success of this team as weird as it sounds is making sure there is a capable backup quarterback in case their number is called. Yeah. All right. Love it or leave it. Number three. All right. Final one. Love it or leave it. The Texas basketball team will reach the sweet 16. I'm going to love this. Uh, It's not going to be easy folks. Um, I mean, Colgate. Okay. The 15 seed is the number one team in college basketball in three-point field goal percentage at 40.6. Colgate has five starters who average double figures, and they shoot 40.6 from the three as a team. I mean, Texas is a good defensive team. They're going to have to chase guys off the line. Um, They're going to have to pressure Colgate into turnovers so that they – don't even get the the looks at the at that uh, you know from the three point line, um, but then you get past Colgate and you've got two of the hottest teams with two of the you know each Texas A and M and Penn State have leading scorers who are dynamic. A and M's going to bully you. They they're going to attack the basket over and over again. They're going to draw fouls. They get to the free throw line more than any other team in college basketball. Um, and then Penn state talked about Jalen Pickett, a guy who's, you know, averaging 18 points and seven rebounds and almost seven assists a game. I mean, the guy is like a one man triple double. Oh, and by the way, he's got, you know, a bunch of teammates who can hit the three and there is, they have some size. Um, A&M is more like TCU. They're kind of like, bunch of six, nine, six, 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 seven guys, which that gives Texas trouble with their guard heavy, you know, their reliance on Marcus Carr and, and Tyrese Hunter and, and Serge Barry Rice. So I just think these are going to be fantastic games, but I, I love the way Dylan D'Souza is playing right now and Christian Bishop. And I think Texas is uh, the better defensive team uh, of those three I just mentioned. So I'm going to, I'm going to say, I love this Taylor, Texas to the sweet 16. It won't be easy. How about you? Man, I want to say, I love it, but it is really a challenging um, road ahead. And it starts with Colgate, as you mentioned, you know, hitting 40.6% of three pointers that leads college basketball. Um, I mean, to put into comparison, Texas, I think is hitting like 33% as a team at three pointers. So um and honestly, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I look a lot more at scoring than I do at defense because I feel like if, if a team gets hot on you, you could have the best defense out there. But if they're hot and they're rolling, this is why they call it March Madness. This is, that's where the upsets tend to happen. And so I'll, I'll love it because I do hope for Rodney Terry, honestly, with what he's done. I, I want him to get all the credit in the world for what this team is and this staying together and him keeping the wheels you know, are the train on the the track a little bit as uh, they've all been through so much turmoil, adversity, none of them asked for this. And I would like to see it continue for him because I think that he's done such a phenomenal job. So I'm going to love it out of hope for Texas fans to watch their team go to the Sweet 16 for the first time in what, over a decade now, I think it is. Um, And and also for Rodney Terry, because it's just, you don't want the Cinderella story of a season to end early because I feel like it'll diminish what they actually did and what Texas basketball actually overcame this year and becoming one of the top seeded teams in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And it, it, it's not fair, but that is typically how um, the season's remembered for what you did in the, in the uh, NCAA tournament real quickly, the Texas women um, are playing at nine o'clock at night on Saturday in their first round game, Vic Schaefer was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, he's like, we have fans, you know, we have older fans. Uh, we have fans with young kids. They're all going to need naps. Um, and, and so 
uh, it'll be a, a great day of, of basketball on, uh, well, hopefully it is because Texas, yeah. <laughs> the Texas men would also be playing on Saturday if they get past Colgate. So um, the Texas women are playing at the Moody Center, their first, hopefully, two games. Um, so as the four seed in something called the Seattle Four region. So, um, hey, everybody, we'll have a lot to talk about um, between now and our next flagship podcast episode. So make sure you're over at Horns247.com and make sure you're subscribed to the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel. Just hit that subscribe button right below the screen there so that you don't miss an episode of the flagship podcast for Taylor Estes. I am Chip Brown. Um, thanks for listening until next time. We'll see you over at horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith.